I think you're seeing this too, probably, is people are fighting a little bit again. They're rebelling a little bit against that because they're realizing I can do my own thing, particularly with career stuff and entrepreneurship. And there's so much conversation around that. The other side of that coin is a lot of people feel that pressure. Like I'm supposed to quit my nine to five. I'm supposed to do my own thing. I'm supposed to be this like badass like can do it all majorly successful seven figure, like blah, blah, blah. And you feel so unaccomplished and so unworthy if you're not meeting that when Mm -hmm. not everyone can be an entrepreneur, not everyone's supposed to be an entrepreneur. It takes so many different kinds of people to make our societies function the way that we need to function. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we explore the hidden side of modern work, help you turn procrastination into job search motivation, and teach you how to stress less, earn more, and change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Rosette Elgesane to the podcast. Rosette is a first-generation Lebanese-American a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice, and she primarily helps women navigate and heal from family of origin trauma, relationship problems, perfectionism, shame, and third culture challenges. In today's episode, we talk about the issues that arise when we abandon ourselves and go into autopilot in order to please others in our career and our life. We also discuss the difference between narcissistic, toxic, or just overworked bosses, and why the war on ordinary is creating so many issues in our ability to enjoy life and find contentment in what we have. Because truthfully, the grass is not always greener on the other side. If you like this show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It truly helps us get the word out to more struggling in their search and allows us to keep having candid conversations like these about life and career. Now grab a cup of coffee or tea and settle in for this conversation with Rosette. Today's episode is brought to you by HireEct.us, a free app that lets hiring teams and candidates instantly chat about incredible job opportunities. If you're a hiring manager, CEO, or recruiter, download the HireEct app to see a curated list of talented individuals and accelerate your hiring process 10 times faster than traditional ways. And if you're a job seeker, join the platform to start talking to decision makers at startups who are ready to hire. Businesses grow faster when everyone is communicating seamlessly. Download HireEct.us, that's H-I-R-E-C-T, dot us today when i was going through your site the thing that really stuck out to me was you know this idea of breaking the cycle and you know i as as i work with a lot of people in their careers and you work with people with their mental health you know there are these sort of stories that kind of play on repeat in people's minds mm-hmm. right and it's kind of interesting because you'll see those stories be almost word for word retold over and over again at different points of time, like months apart. And I'm curious, you know, what, what sort of cycles do you most commonly see um, when it comes to the clients that you work with and, and the things that they're going through in life? I love this question. And it's ab- that's absolutely what it is. It's stories on repeat. And most of the time, people don't know 
that there's a story there. They don't know that there's something like a program almost running in the background um, that is either contributing to something that's happening in their life that they're not too happy with or that's perpetuating it. So something that was outside of their control, but now this narrative and the story and these beliefs are the things that are keeping them stuck in that place. Um, a lot of the, the themes I see often come from childhood stuff. And I don't think that's really gonna surprise anybody, but these core beliefs that we develop based on our relationships and our first relationships and whether we feel accepted, whether we feel like we have to please everybody else, abandon ourselves. And because I work mostly with women, I see a lot of abandoning of the self for you know, for the purpose of meeting other people's needs. So that's something that I see a lot and there's no attunement to what they need, what they want, what is gonna make them happy. It's all other, other, other. And that comes from partly social engineering and, and how most cultures and societies socialize girls and women. And then some of it might come from their family of origin trauma. Interesting. And, and when it comes to abandoning our needs for other people's needs, I almost want to look at, start with what are the needs that we're trying to take care of for other people that uh, mm -hmm. come up the most often? Because I think so often we know that we're kind of like, oh, something is off. Maybe I'm being a people pleaser or, or something along those lines. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, what are the typical needs that people are so heavily focused on that are distracting them from themselves? Fixing other people's problems. <laughs> so, so like trying to figure out someone else's life for them, really over-functioning, a little bit of codependency or a lot of bit of codependency, depending on the person, but identifying someone else's problem and feeling like that is their responsibility. And sometimes I see a lot of women who either have been or are currently in unhealthy relationships. And sometimes they can be abusive. Sometimes they can be in a relationship with a narcissist. And so there's just continued focus on how do I walk on eggshells? How do I pretzel myself? How do I, there's no sense of self and it's all about meeting the needs of the other person and trying to keep them happy and trying to look the way they're supposed to look and make the choices they're supposed to make. Um, so that's something I've been seeing a lot too. Yeah. And that word supposed to, I think that that comes up mm -hmm. so much, right? Um, when it comes to the supposed to's that you see most commonly in people's minds, um, what, what is like the typical mindset around what we're supposed to do in our relationships, in our life and in our careers? I know it's really big, but what, what mm -hmm. are your thoughts there? Where to begin? How much time do you have? <laughs> oh, we've got time. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of it is this sort of typical traditional life trajectory. So I'm supposed to go to school for this certain thing. And then this is also majorly cultural too. So I'm Arab, Arab American, was born in the States. And so there's this expectation of you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an engineer, or that's it, you're disowned. And that happens in a lot of cultures. Um, and even not in sort of minority cultures, we see certain expectations in terms of what you're supposed to do with your life. Then you're supposed to get married. You're supposed to have children. 
You're supposed to pick a career and just stay on that path. And that's something a lot of people wrestle with. What I, I think you're seeing this too, probably, is people are fighting a little bit again. They're rebelling a little bit against that because they're realizing I can do my own thing, particularly with career stuff and entrepreneurship. And there's so much conversation around that. The other side of that coin is a lot of people feel that pressure. Like I'm supposed to quit my nine to five. I'm supposed to do my own thing. I'm supposed to be this like badass, like can do it all majorly successful seven figure, like blah, blah, blah. And you feel so unaccomplished and so unworthy if you're not meeting that when Mm -hmm. not everyone can be an entrepreneur. Not everyone's supposed to be an entrepreneur. It takes so many different kinds of people to make our societies function the way that we need to function. And that's another case where you're abandoning yourself, whichever path you feel like you're pressured to go down. Yeah, I think that that's so important to hear too, especially because of the massive rise in popularity for entrepreneurship over the last decade, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, there is this sort of view that like, my only options are to be an entirely 100% traditional person or an mm-hmm. entirely independent uh, millionaire. <laughs> like those yeah. are like the only two ways <laughs> like if to I'm go. not Elon Musk, I have failed. <laughs> right, right. And, and you see it in the way that people talk too. They're like, um, well, you know, we, you know, they say we can't all be Elon Musk as though anyone can be Elon Musk. Like Elon Musk right. is the richest person on the planet right now, I think. I think and so. I think I'm, he's going to be the first trillionaire ever. Right. He's also, I'm pretty sure he said he has autism and, you know, his marriages have been tumultuous and he spent mm-hmm. most of his early years sleeping on the floor of his office. Like, I don't think people really understand what they're saying when they say these ideals. And I think maybe that's yep. part of it is not having the full story, only seeing these like highlights and these clips and obviously social media plays into it if we want to go on that tangent. But there's so much in there of just like, you know, some, sometimes I almost feel like it's just like a bit of naivete at times, right? But it's also um, a bit of like being preyed upon. I think a lot of our emotions are being preyed upon by marketers and companies in different places that are trying to get us to buy something or, or, or like join an MLM program, right? Like a multi-level marketing program. And it's just like, it, it's, it's, it was kind of upsetting to sort of work with folks and see that they're not in a great place mentally due to all the things you're mentioning. And there's an entire industry almost built around like keeping them off the track, like keeping them from getting back to themselves. Have you sort of seen any like common things that people get really distracted by when it comes to this? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and I, I also see what you're saying where it's almost as if, and I, I don't want to assign any intention to corporations or people or businesses where, that I don't know personally, but it seems as though they're preying on that vulnerability of people. And there's a lot of, I already forgot what you were asking. Was it about fixation on something? Like what yeah, are people like fixating getting on? distracted, kind of that, um, mm-hmm. I do want to get back to like the walking on eggshells and pieces like that, but there's also this sort of one of the reasons we get so far away from ourselves is that there's an endless stream of things to distract us. Right. And, and I'm curious, like, how do you help people stop that cycle of like, I don't know, 
almost being like ADD in, in the way that they look at their life. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. We have come to a point where many people have already probably stopped listening to this podcast. <laughs> many, you know, many yeah. people don't have the patience to watch a video on Instagram that's longer than 26 seconds. And so there's this constant state, we're living in the state of what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. We've lost a little bit of patience, I think. And we get so distracted by these things that it's constant novelty and constant stimulation. And that can create a sense of overwhelm within the self where you're constantly trying to anchor yourself in these external things. And if they're changing so rapidly, how are we going to keep up? How am I going to know what's going to fulfill me? How am I going to know what's going to study me? How am I going to know what is truly the thing or the things that are meant for me? If I'm constantly being distracted and fed this information, I think it's going to be so interesting when we look at the next generation and the generation after that and things like brain scans and how different those are going to look. Because I'm assuming you and I kind of grew up around the same time. We did not grow up with technology in front of us all mm -hmm. the time. And this isn't to, you know, burn social media or anything like that. It's so powerful and so wonderful in a lot of ways. But I think that's one of the biggest things that we see where people are just being fed so much information, so many opinions, so many different perspectives. And we're not meant to process, we cannot process that much information. So it becomes this just distraction where we're living in this space of constant overwhelm and we forget to look within. Yeah. And so that's what I'm seeing a lot is I'm having to help people even just doing things like value sort activities in session. Like what are your values? And people struggle to even start those sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like the cliche in the coaching world, right. Is if you start talking to someone, you're like, well, what, what do you picture your life to be like? And they go, I want to be Oprah. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> trying to live someone else's life or I want to be Elon Musk. Right. And so, you know, when, when we do, and I've actually, I've been listening to some different um, therapists talk about this recently too, in which there are sort of in the video that I was watching, he was talking about like, there's these two sort of mindsets around therapy, even there's maybe the older school mindset of like, this is a slow process that unveils things over time. Um, and then there's kind of this newer mindset, maybe it's new, maybe it's not, I'll, I'll let you let, get into it, but of like really hyper task oriented and like goal oriented kind of therapy. And I know in the coaching world, it's all very goal focused, right? Like it's like get a job and that they're stressed out every day about getting that job. But have you seen any changes in the way that um, therapy has kind of been going in people taking their time or wanting to rush or having patience and things like that? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. This is such a good topic and such a good question. Um, think about, I don't, I don't know if I should name, name anything, but these apps or these websites where they're marketing have 24 seven access to your therapist. You pay this flat monthly fee and you can text anytime you can call anytime you can schedule a session anytime. And yes, it's important that people have access to mental health resources. And I think the intention behind those things was to fill a 
very sad gap and very painful gap in the market. At the same time though, it's creating this culture where we want instant relief. We want, again, that external fix and that external something to just take away that pain. And we're no longer learning how to tolerate discomfort, tolerate ambiguity. And those things are hallmarks of resilience, which are super critical, especially given what the entire world has been going through the last couple of years. If we don't, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, keep going. If we don't learn how to, I mean, therapy is a tool. So my job, the way I see it, and I have several long-term clients because they enjoy that introspection process and they enjoy, you know, constantly learning about themselves and constantly uncovering things. And that is beneficial for them. But these, these programs, it's like, we have to learn how to be our own resource. So it's my job in general to teach people how to fish and how to, again, anchor themselves in things that are beneficial for them, learn enough about themselves to know what's going to work for them. Um, and some people come in with like, you know, in the first session, they have this question of, okay, so are you going to fix this? I'm like, well, I, if I had that kind of power, I don't know that I would be a therapist. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to know what the world would look like if we had that kind of power, we could just take things away. I actually worked at um, a university setting for, for several years. And this particular student population was generally, they had generally grown up with resources, therapy since they were four or five, psychiatrists since they were very young. Um, some even had coaches starting from when they were teenagers. I mean, they were in a pressure cooker of a society and was all very achievement oriented. So they had all of these resources. They generally came from wealthy families that were able to provide them with those things. And then they come to university and they're expected to tolerate feeling overwhelmed. They're expected to know how to navigate being a young adult, balance schedules, balance that with their social lives, all the while navigating these expectations and this pressure. And what we would see is we had walk-in services. So people could of course come in for their regular appointments, but we had someone on call during the day in case there was something urgent, like someone was just assaulted or someone's having a panic attack or suicidal ideation or any of these things. Like, of course, please come in. We would see people come in sit down and fill out paperwork and insist on seeing someone right away for things that we would anticipate a young adult could tolerate, like someone not texting them back, um, not getting the grade they wanted on an exam. So these are of course instances where I would say, hey Martin, like I just had a really bad day. I would reach out to a friend. I would, if I got dumped, I would eat Ben and Jerry's and cry with my girlfriends. But we were seeing people come in for mental health services because they did not know how to tolerate painful emotions and they wanted someone to take that away immediately. That was a little disheartening. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. And I can see that in the coaching world as well. Because um, I do, I, I give my clients access to Slack and it's it's kind of interesting how like, 
you know, I, I sort of in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, Slack is like, I'll get back to you within 24 <clears throat> hours, right? But people would be like, mm-hmm. I have an interview in 20 minutes. And I'm like, I'm probably on a call. Like, I can't help yeah. you right this second. Yeah. And it is interesting how like, it does take away that personal agency, right? And it almost feels like um, sometimes I have way more trust in the person than they have in themselves, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me of this idea of like, when you're saying people come in over like a text or people come in over these things, it really, it plays into a, another podcast that I did about loneliness in the workplace where we are sort of in a place where, you know, the cliche is everyone's connected socially, but no one's actually connected personally, right? And um, it, 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 in the age of like COVID and pandemic and like, you know, being inside and everything, I've even seen with my friends, like the ability to just sort of schedule something for like, uh, or like to, to say, Hey, what are you doing on Friday? Let's go out or something like that. Like everything has become hyper scheduled as well. It's like, Mm. what are you doing in three months? Like that's, that's kind (laughs) of where, where friendships are at at this point. Um, And it actually, even in, in, in the world that I'm in, it's like, it takes a lot of effort to sort of even plan phone calls with people and things like that. And I do feel that this sort of is being felt in a lot of different places, both interpersonally in our lives, but also in the workplace as we go more remote. We don't have the ability to just like pop by our boss's desk. We don't have the ability to like have, like I remember when I first started working remote, um, if I just wanted to be like, hey, how's it going? And like talk to a coworker, I'd have to set up a meeting about something. Like it'd be like weird. And so it does sort of seem to be increasing this isolation while also giving people services that take away their ability to, as you said, build that resiliency and build that ability to be by themselves dealing with an emotion, right? And yeah. so we're kind of becoming weaker on both ends in a way. Um, when it comes down to like bouncing back from that, or like, let's say you notice that in your life, someone's listening and they go, wow, yeah, I'm actually having a really hard time just being by myself. What are some things that they can start thinking about or doing or practicing in order to build that resiliency muscle? Yeah. Well, first I want to emphasize the importance of connectedness and relationships. So if someone is feeling lonely, that's a very painful experience. Anyone experiencing life stressors, mental health concerns, physical health concerns, and even if you're not, you need social support. That's the only reason we've been able to make it this long as as human beings. Um, And it's the only reason we will continue to make it through difficult times. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. Obviously, I think you and I can both agree, never anything wrong with reaching out for support. And this isn't to minimize, you know, that a text, not receiving a text is going to be difficult for somebody um, because that's that's where they are and that in their life is, is the crisis. All of that being said, it is important to build that resiliency muscle because sometimes we can start to misinterpret things. So if I reach out to a friend and they happen to be in a very busy season in their life and I misread that and I think, oh, they don't care about me. How's that gonna affect me? So part of resiliency is gonna be about giving yourself grace, giving other people grace and understanding that there is a wide toolbox and toolkit of things that you can do for yourself. So trying to expand that social network that you have, 
really deepening the relationships you already do have in a way that feels good to you. What are things that bring you joy? So I think we live right now in this state of just autopilot and go, 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 go. And you ask people, what do you do for fun? And they're like, oh God, I don't know. Another thing we see a lot is um, coping skills have become about avoidance and they're very passive and they're about shutting down and tuning out because of how go, go, go we've become. But a way to build that resilience is to engage in more active coping mechanisms. So what's something where you're gonna see a result, whether it's painting or just sketching something on a piece of paper or gardening and not me, gardening, <laughs> that's something I will not succeed in no matter how hard I try, where you see something happen or cooking, right? So you start off with just this random assortment and mishmash of stuff, and then you get this beautiful meal and that feels really rewarding. Um, going on walks, exercising, that's so important for mental health. And granted, if you don't have any physical conditions or you're recovering from an eating disorder or anything like that, physical activity is one of the first things I'm gonna to recommend to somebody. It's going to have all those wonderful, wonderful effects on the brain that we talk about. It's gonna maybe even expand your social circle if you join a running group or start going to a Pilates studio. So those things are gonna help. Um, those are some of the first things that come to mind. Also working on perspective and not in that what the kids call these days like toxic positivity where just look on the bright side and the silver lining but how can I examine the narrative that I have assigned to my life situation and understand where that's coming from and that can be done through therapy of course and self-introspection or with close helpful friendships and understand that story and help myself rewire it because that is gonna help me build that sense of agency. And of course, practicing gratitude, major, major big one. So even if it's just sitting down in the morning or in the evening and writing down two or three things you're grateful for, that is gonna transform so much because you're coming from a place of abundance and you're seeing what you do have in your life and the things that maybe you can nurture a little bit more. Yeah, it really is that um, it, it's that wiring we have, right? And and it's an active process to rewire. So you know, people, I think sometimes people hear like meditation and and gratitude journals and all these different things, and they think like, how's that going to help? You know, and and you know, the, mm -hmm. from what you're saying here, the thing is, is that it's literally stopping ourselves and stopping that cycle of thoughts and trying to do something different. Even if you can only come up with one thing, it's like, you're at least making the effort. And I think sometimes we get so focused on the outcomes, we forget that it's actually the process of doing it that is rewiring mm -hmm. us, not like, oh, I, I did a gratitude journal for three weeks and I didn't see any changes in my friendships. And it's like, it's not quite how yeah. it works, yeah. you know? Um, and I'm glad you threw out the idea of toxic positivity. That's definitely something we've talked about on here especially in the coaching world. I feel at least like the therapy world is a little bit more um, grounded <laughs> in a way, um, where if you go on LinkedIn, it's like, it's toxic positivity born to the nth degree. And it's like, it's like, you're not getting paid what you're getting paid. Quit that job. It's like, you don't, you're yeah. not getting what you want. Oh, you're God. like, leave that thing. And, and I think that there's this sort of like, um, 
I think the core idea is good of like, take care of yourself, right? That's what we're talking about here. Advocate for yourself, know what you need, know what you want. But it almost, yeah, but it almost gets ratcheted, can't say words, up to 11 where it's like, if anything is wrong, leave. If anything is wrong, quit. If anything is wrong, dump the whole, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think that narrative is being thrown around in relationships. It's being thrown around in work situations. And when, when we try to have a nuanced conversation about it, it tends to get like conflated up to the worst possible situations, right? So um, if you're unhappy at work, it's probably because your boss is toxic and you need to quit versus there might be a little bit of toxicity and there also might be a little bit of like self-advocacy that's not happening. And maybe you can work on your side and make the place a little bit better. Um, And that's a more nuanced approach, but it's hard for people to kind of latch onto. And I think it plays back into what you said before about that walking on eggshells piece. And um, when you said people being in relationships with narcissists, I I think that that's Mm -hmm. fascinating from a relationship standpoint. And I would want to do like a whole podcast on that, but um, <laughs> in the workplace, I think that this also comes up quite a bit with narcissistic managers and bosses and always feeling like you're on eggshells at work. And then that kind of erodes our ability to advocate for ourselves. So yep. when you say narcissist, let, let's just kind of start with like, how do we know the difference between, let's just say a mediocre boss and a toxic boss mm-hmm. or <laughs> a narcissist and someone who's just not paying attention to you. <laughs> right. And the word toxic is just like the word of the day, right? Yeah. Um, it's almost a toxic word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to your point there, there are, I mean, everything's on a spectrum. So we should never have to white knuckle our way through true suffering for something that's really making us unhappy or something that really isn't working for us. But when we get to this place of, there was just one thing that was dissatisfying or a couple problems. So I'm just gonna leave it all behind, burn it all to the ground. Well, what are we expecting is gonna be on the other side? Everything is imperfect. That's the nature of the beast. Um, But when it comes to something like a true toxic boss or toxic work environment or a narcissistic partner um let do you want to start with narcissism or toxic bosses or kind of like all in the same let's start with narcissism because i think it's just a word people aren't as familiar with and then we can get into the toxic bosses so narcissism is to to a degree is healthy so to be able to think highly of oneself and be motivated to protect oneself and believe that you deserve good things, right? In a nutshell, that's healthy. But someone who is a narcissist, as, as we would use that term in the field, means that they have narcissistic personality disorder. So, and that's again, for the most part, a personality disorder isn't, well, when I'm cranky, I can be a real piece of work or when I haven't gotten enough sleep or in these certain situations or this one cousin that I have is really triggering for me, for it to be, you are a narcissist with this quote personality disorder, which whole other conversation about diagnoses and disorders, it needs to be a pervasive pattern of behavior that is seen across all life areas 
or several major life areas, not just in certain situations, and it's creating negative consequences, whether it's at your job or in your relationship or in your family or whatever it might be. So when someone's in a relationship with a narcissistic partner, or what I'm seeing a lot is sort of illuminating for people that they may have narcissistic parents and they had no idea growing up, you're really, really walking around eggshells. You cannot win. Um, they tend to be, and I use this term, take it with a grain of salt, more difficult personalities. Um, it's very challenging. They engage in gaslighting, which is another term that's being thrown around very casually, but it's really just this pattern of, I'm going to make you feel like you're the problematic one or the pain that you're experiencing. I don't know where that's coming from. I'm going to do something to provoke this emotional reaction in you. And then when you have a reasonable emotional reaction, I'm going to say, well, Martin, why are you so upset? Um, so it can be very abusive. And eventually over time, it erodes the other partner's sense of self, sense of self-worth, um, confidence, feelings of deservingness. They feel stuck. They feel like the only thing they can do is just tiptoe around and make sure not to fall short of the other person's very lofty expectations. And the other thing that happens is narcissists tend to idealize the other person. So for a lot of women in particular, they get love bombed by this person. It's so intense and so over the top and they're so idealized and put on this pedestal. And the second there's that vulnerable, okay, I'm gonna sign up for this because this person clearly loves me. That's when you're gonna be cut off at the knees and you feel completely unworthy. That can definitely happen in the workspace and it's gonna come out in different ways, but it's, it can, a lot of people might experience a lack of attunement from their boss, just these very heavy expectations, no consideration for the employee's um, dignity, mental well-being, their need for boundaries, their need for balance, anything like that. So that can definitely, definitely happen in the workspace. And that would be an example of a toxic boss or a toxic workplace. Yeah. And I think, I think where people, um, where I've seen it go really awry in, let's say we notice it, we, we, we notice these signs, we see these signs happening. What I tend to see is that it actually does, it, it almost starts to get the person experiencing it even more worked up when they realize the situation, right? And so mm -hmm. let's, let's take it away from the narcissism a little bit, because I think in the, there's certain situations where you're probably not going to be able to manage up your way out of it, right? You're not going to be able to just like right. manage your oh, boss. You, you can it. never win. That, right. that person will probably never change. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of a, a big piece of like, people want to change other people. And, and sometimes <laughs> like that ends up hurting you so much more. And what I tend to see in the job search process um, and in, in our careers in general is we make it, 
there has been this push to make it so much of our identity, so much of our career is, or so much of our life is focused on our careers. And we even see this in like the relationship um, conversations as well, right? It's, I'm either a stay-at-home mom and I have no, you know, options in life, or I'm 100% focused on building a business and I'm going to be a millionaire someday. Like there's these mindsets that almost take away people's ability to do multiple things at once and like own where they're at and like grow as humans and like all these different things and, um, and take on responsibility. And I feel like there's, there's certain situations you've just got to get out of like those narcissistic situations where it's like, yeah, you've got to quit that job. But I do think that sometimes with a lot of people that I work with, they think um, a company saying, we'll get back to you by Friday and then not responding until the next week or a couple weeks, unfortunately, with some of these companies is, is a direct attack on us as people. And um, because our careers have been so encouraged to be wrapped up in, in our core identity, anything going wrong in our careers makes us feel like we're bad people. And I've, I've given talks on like um, negotiations where like the first thing I say is separate your salary from your self-worth because there's a whole narrative out there that's like, you need to get paid what you're worth. And I'm like, oh, so your salary is the only marker of your sense of self and who you are as a person? Because that seems like pretty limiting for the individual. We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now back to our show. Because we get so worked up about this, we almost lose the ability to have empathy for, let's say, the middle manager who's like trying to speed along this process, but just has no power, (laughs) like just doesn't really have the ability to help. Like they want to help so better. The recruiter who really does want to just get this process over with, but the five people they have to coordinate to make the decision just (laughs) won't get in a room together. And, and we take it as a personal attack, maybe because it's all behind screens, maybe because we never got to meet any of these people in person or even see the office. Like there's so many things there, but I do feel, I feel for folks because, um, on the one hand, the process is extremely inefficient and broken. But on the other hand, we're losing our ability to have empathy for others. And it's almost like um, if we take it away from the extremes a little bit, it's not like my boss is like an all-time narcissist and I just need to get away forever. But my boss is someone with their own mental health issues. And I'm someone with my own mental health issues. And we're trying to get along and it's creating a lot of issues. And, uh, and I actually experienced this once where I was um, interviewing for a company. It was like three, four months of interviews, a lot of back and forth, take home assignments, all the, all the things that you could imagine. Right. And they just wouldn't make a decision. And we kept going back and forth and all these different things. And I was like, what is going on with this place? And I actually got ghosted for like two months. And then they came back and they're like, can you start tomorrow? And I'm like, 
you take two months and I have to start tomorrow. What the heck's going on here? And I got a little bit like offended, right? But because, you know, I've come from this coaching world, I've had enough insight to realize like, this is just inefficient companies, try and be helpful. That's my mindset always. And then I actually end up working there and I'm talking to the person who did the ghosting and he's asking me questions on how to reject a candidate because he's so anxious about sending that email. He's like, I'm trying to hire someone for this role. And I just like, I don't know what to say in this email. Can you help me write it? And I was like, this person wasn't ghosting me because of me. This person has an anxiety disorder and actually opened up and literally is medicated for anxiety right now. And it just, that's what I always think about when people are getting so angry about these processes or um, these companies or, or their relationships or anything. It's like broken people are managing broken people and we all need to have a little bit more understanding for each other. And I'm curious, like, how does that play into the work that you do with people to develop that muscle versus, you know, these other muscles of <laughs> like, there's the self-resiliency, but there's also like the, the empathy muscle. How do you see that play into your work? Yeah. A lot of when, as you were speaking, I kept thinking perfectionism and expectations, perfectionism and expectations. So I think there's a bit of a pandemic of perfectionism happening and that sort of all or nothing thinking that you described where I have to be a full-time stay-at-home mom and this perfect whatever, or I have to be Elon Musk. Anything in between is not attainable. And when we live in a black and white space like that, we really struggle to see anything that's ordinary as being acceptable. And I say ordinary in the most beautiful sense of the word, of a beautiful, full life that's balanced, where you're all the different, different facets of yourself. That's an ordinary, great life. I mean, sign me up. But if I have such high expectations of myself that I'm grappling with, that I'm never gonna meet, right? I'm probably gonna project that onto you and expect the same, if not more. And anything in between, I can't tolerate. So I need to hear back from you exactly when you told me you would, or that's a problem. And if you're not there, so if you've ghosted me, you're some recruiter and you've ghosted me, whatever narrative I create, you're not there to answer my questions. You're not there to help me construct this benign, like plausible narrative. So I'm gonna project this entire story and how is that not gonna affect how I perceive you, how I feel about myself, what I believe about my ability to get a job or find a partner or whatever. It's because we're living in this black and white world. So that's the first place I would start with people is what are your expectations of yourself? And then how is that translating into what you're expecting from other people? And let's develop some serious self-compassion, not self-esteem, but self-compassion, because there are times in our lives where we cannot think anything positively about ourselves or say, I like this thing about myself. And that's where self-compassion comes in. That can always be there because I can always, no matter how I feel about myself, be compassionate, be more kind, take it a little bit easier, expect 
like, okay, if all I can do today is just walk from the bed to the couch, that's cool. And then that's going to help me understand, well, Martin or this recruiter or this other person, like they're just people too, trying to do their best. We pretty much all want the same things in life. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to have good relationships. We want to feel some sense of purpose, some sense of fulfillment and anything extra amazing, whether we want adventure or companionship, or I don't know. So once I'm able to access that self-compassion, it's going to make it a lot easier for me to assign those more benevolent narratives about other people. I love that, especially that quote that pops up on LinkedIn every single day of, if you don't accept me at my worst, you can't have me at my best. Marilyn Monroe Yeah, it's just everywhere. Um, if we're going to say Is that, that on LinkedIn? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm so, Instagram, I'm at least. so I'm out of touch with LinkedIn. I've heard it's gotten interesting. It's interesting. Um, it's good for a laugh. Uh, but there's like, if we're going to say other people should accept us, but then we're not going to accept other people what's that going to lead to? It's going to lead to higher levels of loneliness, higher levels of job dissatisfaction, harder lives at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I really like that you called out this um, general sort of looking down on ordinary, looking down on normal. Um, I, as you were talking, I, I, I made a note of like, there is sort of like a war on being ordinary um, happening <laughs> to, to extract to make it extreme for the internet. But uh, there's this, there is this sort of thing of like, well, I don't want to just be like, I, I need to exceed what my parents were. I need to exceed what my friends are. I need to be the top of every single hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's this real missed opportunity, like you said, to enjoy your life as where it's at and to enjoy the struggle right like that's a very zen sort of mindset of like the struggle is kind of the fun part and I was actually talking to my partner the other day and we were like you know that she has some big pro like international projects going on that like were really stressful and you know we're both trying to build businesses and all these different things and you know some days we're just like caught up in how difficult it all is but we were making dinner and we're like I have a feeling we're going to look back and be like, these were the fun days. Like these were the really good <laughs> times, you know, like, you know, if, if you have everything, let's say you had an unlimited budget to build your business or to do whatever your, your thing is, where's the motivation in a way? Like if you just are, if, if I could just sit there and go, well, I could watch more TV or I could work on my business. It doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm good either way. It, it can decrease motivation, but then you have to find other sources of motivation if you're in that situation. And I do think that this sort of plays into the idea of like, where is your motivation coming from, right? Um, I tend to find most people's motivations come, maybe not most people, but most people that I work with, right? Come from fear and um, and, and like not having something, obviously they're trying to find a job. Um, what do you sort of see as like the typical motivators for people? Um, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's, it's stress or, or something along those lines. And what are the ones that maybe 
are a little bit more on the unhealthy coping side? And what are ones that we could start to develop? Because I think there's not much of a conversation around how to motivate yourself in positive ways. Usually it's like, you're not a millionaire yet, get to work. Or you're not in a perfect relationship with the hottest person on the planet, get to work. And it's like, okay, wait a second. There's gotta be other sources of motivation out there. What have you sort of seen people find in their journey? Yeah, I mean, so for a lot of people, achievement is a motivator, whether that's because they grew up in a home where there weren't resources or they really struggled or they're children of immigrants and they watch their parents struggle. And so achievement to them means a lot more than just the hustle and the grind and and all this stuff. It means um, that's how they would find purpose. And in, in this sort of existential sense of the word, this purpose and this meaning that they can create with their lives. And that would benefit the people in their community or their family. So that can be a healthy motivator for some people. I think where it can, any motivator we talk about where it topples over into a more unhealthy space is when you have to ask yourself the question of at what cost? So am I completely ignoring relationships? So maybe some people for them, companionship is not important. That is so rare. I will probably never encounter that person in my career for someone to just not care about having relationships of any kind, um, but it's out there. But anything where you're completely sacrificing or ignoring other aspects of your life or yourself or your well-being, your health, that's where I would kind of start to ask some questions and help someone explore that a little bit more. Some of the motivators that I see, honestly, shame, and that is an essential emotion to society. At least it started out that way. So if I do something shameful and I hurt you, it is beneficial for our relationship and for our society, our village, our whatever, for me to feel that and for me to feel this need to make repair. So shame is a really powerful motivator in keeping us all interconnected and keeping things working and keeping things going. What happens a lot now, because of perfectionism, because of these expectations, because of these things that we see that we think we need to attain, we are constantly internalizing unwarranted shame or we've experienced trauma and we've internalized unwarranted shame because the systems have failed us or other people blamed us or whatever. And that as a motivator is where I see a lot of pain happening. So it becomes, I so badly want to avoid hurting someone else. It becomes, I don't have boundaries. It becomes, I'm people pleasing. Maybe I'm even codependent. And that is the thing that like motivates me. Um, Something else I'm seeing is just this whole theme that we've been talking about of perfectionism and these external figures that we see and this very shiny, glittery, celebrity, larger than life person that we think we need to be. It's like, the what's the image of the, someone on a treadmill and there's a carrot in front of them and they just can't, they can't reach it. Yeah, or Stan's donut, either way. (laughs) (laughs) Donut, yeah, that would would keep me running for sure. Um, But this like 
constant need for more, 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 better, better, better. Um, those are some of the, those are two of the things that come to mind in terms of unhealthy motivators. Ones that I find a little bit more balanced would be anything that's grounded in your values. And those are going to be different for different people. It's going to be different depending on cultural factors and where you feel like this is what truly motivates me in a way where like I enjoy it or I'm doing this because I just like it and it's not hurting anybody. And we let go of these expectations. That's a wonderful motivator because it's like, I love waking up at five o'clock in the morning and grinding and working on my business. And that brings me so much joy. It's not putting me in a place where I'm comparing myself and feeling like a failure and being really self-critical. That can be amazing. I love that. And I, I like that you called out the idea of sacrificing huge areas of our life. Cause I do think that in the way that we talk about life and careers and relationships and all these different things, it almost feels like we have to do them in isolation now. Um, we can't do everything all at once, right? And so what ends up happening is people will focus on their career for like the first almost 30 years of their life and then wake up one day and go, I need a relationship. Like my value just changed like yesterday. All of a sudden now I want this thing. And then there, you know, in certain cases, if you want kids or if you want other things, now you're having to rush or you're having to, you know, get medical help in order to have kids or, or different things like that. And I think this is maybe, or, and sorry to interject yeah. or you're, you're tolerating unhealthy situations just because you're dying to check that off the list and you're dying to live in that space of that value. You're maybe putting yourself in a bad situation. But, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, if we're going to look at the pressure from family, which you mentioned at the beginning, like the pressure from um, our family to hit these milestones at certain times in our life, there's the negative way to look at it of stop trying to control me. Right. And then there's the positive way to look at it of like, they have good intentions, which may not be being communicated well or, or being, uh, you know, integrated into who we are as people. Right. Um, but there is sort of this, um, this lack of understanding that our values change at different points in our lives. And so, you know, if you're 23 and right now, the most exciting thing is reading entrepreneurial blogs and building whatever marketing business or whatever it is that you're trying to build, that's amazing. Have fun with it, but don't sacrifice the other parts of your life. Don't do it at the expense of also learning how to, how to foster a relationship with your friends or foster. I remember early on in my, um, when I was trying to build my first business with my buddy, we hit a point where we're like, oh shoot, I think we're going to end up being our only friends because we only talk to each other. We like have foregone all of our other friend groups because we wanted to be in this entrepreneurial circle. And we had to like basically say, we're going to stop working and go like reconnect with the world for a second. Um, and I think that that can happen with relationships. It can happen with friendships, family um, dynamics and things like that. And I'm sort of, I'm curious for you, you know, maybe some of the pushback will be like, well, how do I do it all at once? Like we can't have it all. We can't do everything, right? Um, what are your thoughts on like how to pursue multiple big life goals in tandem with each other rather than like for the first 30 years of my life, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to panic and try and do this. <laughs> yeah. It's all so existential, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, 
But I'm going to go back to that perfectionism again and that all or nothing thinking. So how to do multiple things at once is to let go of this idea that we have to be the Elon Musk in our career and then the Esther Perel in our relationship and these just demigods in society when it's like, how can I be my best version of that? Knowing that best means imperfect and accepting that. So do I think we can do everything at once? No, not in the way that most people would want to, especially not on our own. I think it takes support, it takes systems, it takes hiring a babysitter and working part-time and carving out time for yourself and booking trips in advance and just a whole mishmash of things. And I think it's important to think about, and it, it's hard when you're in your 20s, your 30s to think about, okay, when I'm when I'm 85, inshallah, knock on wood, right? I, I'm gonna look back on my life. It's hard to even imagine that we'll get there and we don't wanna think about it. But what I hear so much from older clients is they wish they had a little bit more balance or they wish they were able to focus on certain things or depending on their life um, because they were so busy just trying to make it. And there's nothing wrong with trying to make it, but how can we have a balanced, sustainable approach? So if we focus for on one thing for five, 10 years and we neglect our relationships, that's not sustainable. Like you're, you're not going, you're actually not going to be well. And to think that you're doing okay, I think is a self-protective mechanism that we're going to put up because we're so convinced this is the thing that we need to be doing. But our values are going to change. You can have more than one thing that you value at the same time. So talking about that value sort activity with people, I don't ask them, pick the one thing that you value. We start with a list of hundreds and we distill it to maybe eight that are important to them. Let's revisit it in a year. Let's revisit it again. You can do this on your own anytime. Google it, Google like list of values and sort through it. Discard what you don't value, then discard the things that you think you should value or things that come from family, cultural, societal expectations, get rid of those as well. And then think about what's really important to you right now. And it's probably gonna be more than one thing. And that's what you want to focus on one singular thing, that's not what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're here to do. And I would argue, I actually hesitate to bring this up, but it's like when we tell people, well, you should exercise and take breaks because that's gonna make you more productive. Not everything needs to be tied to those markers of success and productivity, but it's gonna make you a more well-rounded person. It's gonna make you feel more joyful. It's going to make the people around you want to be around you. And that can only be beneficial. I'm actually really happy you brought that up because that is a, a key thing. It's like doing the right thing for almost the wrong reasons will lead to more burnout. And mm -hmm. I've definitely even seen that in my own life where, you know, I'm people say you got to, you, you watch enough entrepreneurial stuff, you're going to do some weird experiments. And I remember uh, during the pandemic, when 
you know, eating too much chocolate and things like that for too many days uh, caught up with me. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go watch some like Tim Ferriss videos and get motivated. Big mistake. Ended up doing the carnivore diet <laughs> for like a month. Uh, yeah, sure. You, you kind of drop in weight because you're eating crazy. And then what, mm -hmm. but the real result of that, and it's kind of funny to look back on it. The real result of that was I got such an aversion to eating meat and salmon and things like that, that for the next year, I like couldn't eat healthy food because I was like, it had such a negative connotation in my head. And I'm like, I have to rebuild that. It's like, this is why these fad fixes don't work long-term and why things like therapy are so important for folks, because it really does help you break down like what are the like old cycles? And that's an old cycle for me going all the way back to high school. If I really think about it, like I'm pretty sure I did slim fast in high school while doing two a day footballs, like football <laughs> practice, like not healthy. And so like these, these cycles that come up for folks, it's like, once you notice the cycle, then you can start addressing the cycle. And to do that with a professional is such an important thing to do. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that stuff. And, and I do hope that as folks listen to this, it doesn't make them feel like they're like they should be doing more. Like there's an easy way to take everything that we talked about and put it through a bad lens and go, well, now I need to add all this to my plate because I'm not doing enough. And there's, I just want to maybe end our conversation on a little bit more of like a even keeled tone. And, and I'm curious, is there is there a piece of advice you'd share with someone who's just so stressed out right now? They're just listening to this, trying to calm themselves down. What would you say to them? Yeah, yeah. I really hope that people take away, let's live in a more, I don't like to call it gray, like let's live in the prism with like everything in the middle, not just this or that. That isn't meant to overwhelm people with like, do this and do that and add this and add that. It's actually hopefully to motivate people to really simplify and really streamline and think about what is important to me right now, what is valuable to me right now, what's going to help me feel more at ease, and let me just start there. And what's a low-hanging fruit? So if I feel like, okay, I really value my health and that's something I'm worried about, but that's such an overwhelming space. Where do I start? What can you do? Can you walk around the block for 10 minutes at some point today? Great. Start there. If you're feeling really lonely or all your relationships feel like they're in dis disarray or they're painful, well, to think about how am I going to have a thriving social life, that's really overwhelming. Start in one spot. Is there someone that you thought about today that you haven't talked to in a while? Just text them and ask how they're doing. So it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can really just be about what's something small that's going to help me feel more at ease. And what is it that's going to work with me? Not where like I heard someone on a podcast. I heard this on social media. I need to meditate. Maybe that just really is not your thing. That's not the vibe for you. What is? So something, just because something is recommended doesn't mean that's a thing that's going to help you. Try out a bunch of different stuff, release the expectation, and just start with that low-hanging fruit. 
I love it. And don't do it perfectly. Do it imperfectly to start. <laughs> do it just because. Let's let go of like the expectation that there needs, it needs to look a certain way. Let's do things just because. I love that. Well, I, I think that's a perfect place to wrap. Rosette, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, where should they follow along on your work? Thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. Um, my Instagram is something that I'm trying to focus a little bit more on. Um, it is quite neglected, but it's Dr. Rosette. So D-R-R-O-S-E-T-T-E. Same for .com for my website. Um, if people want to reach out, have any questions, um, but this was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Everyone go check it out. And we really appreciate you for joining us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.